Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I am your podcast host, Amanda Farmer, and it is wonderful to be with you here again this week, talking all things Strata. I have a special guest for you this week. Chris Miller is the Managing Director of Vantage Strata and has over 15 years experience in the property sector, predominantly in Strata management and commercial property consulting. During that time, Chris says he has always had an on-the-tools involvement in all areas of strata management, from the day-to-day administration of units plans in the ACT to providing advice in relation to new developments, new precincts, and advice to local industry and government when it comes to the changing legislative environment. Chris is a founding member and the current president of the ACT chapter of the Strata Community Association. Chris is currently working alongside the Chief Minister's Office and organisations such as the Owners Corporation Network to see positive change to the current landscape. Now, I warmly welcome Chris as our first Strata expert from the Australian Capital Territory. And in this chat, we get into some important legislative reform that's happening in the ACT that owners and managers there can expect. Chris gives us the need to know on that. I'm going to take you over to our interview very soon. Before I do that, I want to let you know about my next webinar that is coming up. It's on Thursday, the 6th of August. We're kicking off at midday, supported by Cumberland City Council. I'll be sharing how you can use bylaws to combat bad behaviour and restore peace to your community. It's always a popular webinar, my bylaws webinar, if you have attended one before. Don't let that stop you from tuning in again. There are always updates, new cases, clarifications to our law when it comes to what makes a bylaw valid, what makes a good bylaw what we need to be careful of when we're drafting bylaws. So Thursday, the 6th of August at midday, you want to register for that over at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash Cumberland. This is a webinar brought to you with the support of Cumberland City Council and for residents of that local area in New South Wales, there will be a special bonus for them as well. But all are welcome to join us and learn more about bylaws. For now, though, I am taking you over to enjoy my chat with Chris Miller of Vantage Strata. Chris Miller, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Well, it is about time, I have to say. We were emailing Chris and I said, I am guilty. We have been, I have been running this podcast for over four years now and you're my first ACT expert. How dare I take so long to get you on the show? Well, we're used to that here in Canberra. We kind of... uh we get forgotten about. I'm lucky to get the weather forecast on the national breakfast news shows on television. So, 
but I'm, I'm pleased to finally be here. Very pleased to have you here. And I am just going to apologise to listeners straight up. If there's a bit of noise on my end, it is what I like to call the sounds of strata. I am recording in a building where there's a bit of work going on on the other side and we know how that sound tends to travel in our buildings. So apologise for that. But I'm going to be letting Chris do most of the talking today. Chris, you are in Canberra, as you said. You are the founder, the owner of Vantage Strata. Let us know how it all began. How did you get into strata management? Did you fall in like so many people do? What's the story? Yeah, I did fall into it. It's I tripped into it, um, <laughs> unbeknowing. I got into strata, I can't even remember the year. It was, it was about 15 years ago now. It was about 2005 or 2006. And I was, I was actually a carpenter, doing my carpenter's apprenticeship with my father and we had the contract to look after the maintenance for the Meyer stores at the time it was Grace Brothers and one day our contract was up and they sent us a fax and said thanks for the last couple of years and don't come back tomorrow (laughs) hopefully not an indication of, of the job I was doing but maybe I was probably poorly suited to these Canberra winter mornings going to work at 7 30. So I opened up the newspaper Back in the days when you have this great big bedsheet-sized newspaper on the living room floor with a red texter out circling jobs, and one of them was a strata manager. I had no idea what that meant. I went to the interview. I have I was no better informed post the interview what it meant. I was no better informed post being offered the job and and starting for about two or three weeks. I was people would my friends would say, "Oh, so what are you doing?" And I'd go, "Ah." Oh. I'll come back to you. I'll have to let you know once I've worked out what I'm doing. And as a lot of people in Strata would sympathise, I was given a desk and a phone and a copy of the legislation. At the time, it was only about that big in Canberra. And the best wishes of the owner and see how you go. And I must have, I survived. 15 years later, I'm still surviving. Still kicking along and still loving it from what I see. You have a fairly active uh, social media presence. You've got a great Facebook page and I see you often on LinkedIn doing lots of things there in Canberra, keeping our strata owners and residents up to date. So when did you kick off Vantage? So Vantage, I worked in strata for several years in for someone else, which um, the lady that I started working for, she sold her business to a larger group and then I worked for them and ran their strata business for quite some time, you know, worked my way up, strata manager, senior strata. In, in the end, I was sort of the director, the entitle of the business. And God, it was hard work. It was a 30-year-old business that was made up of a lot of small owners' corporations, which is the landscape of the whole national strata industry. You know, so we were looking after 80, 90 buildings per portfolio and, you, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't very rewarding work. It was very difficult. You didn't really know your buildings particularly well. And that planted the seeds of my thought about the broken model of strata and the market won't accept charging enough per lot to make it so that you can have a very lean portfolio of buildings so that you can know your buildings very well. So you really would, by design, you'd, you sort of have to look after 80, 90 buildings if you're one of those traditional strata businesses where there's, you know, average size of units is 5 or 10, 15 units per building, lots per building. So that planted the seeds of me just wondering, oh, there's something, the maths of this don't quite stack up to make it an enterprise that you're able to deliver good outcomes. It's just sort of busted from that point of view. So I actually left 
being a strata manager, the people that owned the business at that time had a large real estate business with commercial sales and leasing and residential sales as well. And I, I had fancied myself in the commercial sector. So I stayed with that company and I worked as a commercial real estate agent for about two or three years and loved it. I was having the time of my life. But because I had such deep roots in strata, a lot of the developers that I'd always worked with, we had some very complicated legislation changes at the time and their disclosure obligations increased. And I sort of just ended up being the go-to person for consultancy for developers, particularly if they had larger mixed-use buildings, you know, quite complicated developments. And that would then flow downstream into the sales and leasing of the commercial lots within those schemes. So I had that dual role for probably two or three years, winning strata buildings off developments, but that would tie into the commercial sales and leasing work that I was doing. It was great. It was excellent. Really worked well and loved it, loved going to work. It was a lot of lot more boozy lunches and, you know, <laughs> fun times than it was, you know, people phone ringing off the hook complaining about neighbours' cat, you know, sneaking into the backyard. So um for some reason, at a weak moment, my now current business partners tapped me on the shoulder. They were the CEO of Colliers in our region and a guy who owns a large residential real estate property management business here. And they, they'd worked with me for years because they were involved in the development side of things or they'd manage properties that would that we would have um, the strata management of, that have the residential property management of. And they tapped me on the shoulder one day and said, look, strata in this town is just, you know, it's ugly. We're going to start our own thing. We've worked with you for a long time. Do you want to come and be part of it? And they just must have caught me on a funny day because I said, <laughs> yeah, I'll get out of my enjoyable life and I will go and do that. I'll take a big pay cut and I'll go and roll the dice and we'll go and start Vantage Strata. That was about five <laughs> years ago. Work more, earn less. <laughs> Work more, earn less. That was about five years ago and it's just, you know, we probably couldn't have written the script better in terms of the success that we've had and the journey we've had. And it hasn't been easy. It's been... Probably the last five years has been the most difficult two decades of my life, but we've managed to <laughs> we've managed to push through and yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't have changed it for quids. And have you found the secret recipe there to being able to build those closer relationships with buildings, with committee members, and yeah. not take on those huge numbers, but still have a comfortable result at the end of the day? So going into it, we had a very clear idea of what, what we wanted to do differently and how we would address that problem. So me being the smartest person in the world with the mortgage on all good ideas, I knew exactly what we were going to do and it was going to be perfect. So our theory was we will only specialise in larger buildings with a higher number of lots. So we'd have portfolios, smaller buildings, but still get to the thousand odd unit lots per manager that you need to get to that was our model of course it was foolproof that's what we've done and is it perfect no it's not you kind of swap one set of complications for another so Mm. it's not as easy the theory you know has been challenged a bit by the practice Um, we do have a business whereby we've got about eight thousand or approaching about eight thousand units um, and we have you know typical manager portfolio might be between five and 12 buildings so they do have that a much higher degree of contact and understanding of the buildings that they look after but the nature of the problems of just a more complicated you know yep. so That's five it. townhouses in out and wherever macquarie is if you've got a lot of them you've got a lot of meetings to go to you can't really get a good sense of the buildings you're not much more than a, than a secretary for the buildings you don't know much about the buildings themselves but the buildings are fairly straightforward you know 
people park in the business car parking space and you know, there's cracks in the driveway. Okay, well, you get your head around those are fairly simple. So you've got a much smaller number of buildings, but they're much larger and you've got HVAC and vertical transports and, you know, all of the things that the defects and the window cleaning and the backflow, all the things that come with a much more complicated built environment. You know, we've had to become experts, not just in the application of strata management, but in the managing of built environments, which is an area that I just think our whole industry across the country, with some rare exceptions, is just manifestly unprepared for. Mm. And things have been getting increasingly complex in the ACT, though uh, you said you, you may be forgotten sometimes, you may be the, the small kids on the map. There are certainly some things happening there in Strata. Uh, you have some new legislation that I understand has been passed and you are waiting on a commencement, which the last I looked was slated for November 2020. I'm talking about the Unit Titles Legislation Amendment Act. Do you have the history on that, Chris, how that's come about, how long that's taken? You guys have been waiting a while for reform and then we're going to get into um, some of the big ticket items that our ACT listeners need to be across. Yeah, so you are correct in those timeframes. The legislation bill was passed by the Assembly in uh, February of this year with an enactment date of 1 November. Um, and that is still the time frame, as far as I'm aware, for the new amendments to come into, into play. The background is, I mean, this started a long time ago in response to a great deal of pressure from within the industry and from, you know, other peak bodies like the Owners Corporation Network and REI and, and the Law Society, and in particular the SCA and all of the strata managers in their own indiv- individual capacity as business owners. So this is probably back in 2015 was when the first, they called it a consultative group or something like that, was formed by the government. It included myself and various other key stakeholders. And then it had a false start, as you can probably appreciate with government. Some people left and their priorities reorganised and this energy that was found in 2015 just sort of disappeared in about know a year later and it sort of sat dormant they reinvigorated that process a couple of years ago now and they sort of picked up where this previous group left off they formed a new consultative group again I was a member of that group in my capacity it's actually um, in my capacity as a member of the property council rather than as president of SCA but in any case it was myself and the law society and various other industry groups the surveyors general and engineers Australia and whatnot um, but it was probably about 10 or 12. Gary Petherbridge, the president of the Owners Corporation Network, was vocal and, and very positive member of that group as well. And interestingly enough, there was they started with a list of priorities and we went through a process that was quite useful to organise issues into stage one, which had an immediate need, and stage two, which would come later. So the amendments passed in February were part of the stage one. The criteria for making it to stage one was... A, that it was fairly urgent and B, that there was general consensus about the solution. So if there were some other items that was, you know, necessary or or important, maybe not urgent, but everyone argued about the solution, that sort of would find its way into stage two. So stage two is still yet to come. Stage one was passed, the detail was passed in February and will come into place in November. And yeah, it deals with some fairly important and what I think are urgent issues from a strata manager's perspective, but they also 
addressed a number of things from a developer point of view or more a consumer point of view in terms of disclosure and protections um, when buying off the plan. Okay. So for our ACT apartment residents, what are the kinds of day-to-day management things perhaps that might be changing when this legislation commences in November? Sure. So the thing of most relevance and interest will be around changes to, you call them the bylaws, we call them rules, the rules. We used to call them bylaws years, years ago. I don't know why we changed it. I, I like the bylaws. It's more I like universal the rules. Term. Do you? The rules <laughs> I find or... rules more universal. <laughs> well, um, we'll swap. In, in any case, the rules in the ACT previously, they've changed the way that you can construct a rule so that you can um, expand it to include exclusive use rights of common property and you can also address costs associated with those exclusive rights within the rules. At the moment, the current legislation provides for a contribution from a member can either be by way of their unit entitlement, lot entitlement, New South Wales ACT, it's either every owner contributes to the costs in a proportion equal to their unit entitlement, or if there's any other method, then it must be agreed by an unopposed resolution. That's created some problems because it's fairly apparent that you might have two user groups in a building, a ground floor group of restaurant units and then the rest of residential. Now, the ground floor retail units may only, you know, they they probably don't want to pay for the swimming pool and for the tennis court and all the other guff that the residential unit owners benefit from. And the residential guys don't want to pay for the enhanced cleaning on the ground floor and surrounds and the cleaning of the toilets that those guys use more or less exclusively and collection of the grease trap um, waste. And the current regime allows for you to have a bespoke set of cost arrangements, but you've got to have it resolved year after year, budget after budget, and it can only be passed by way of an unopposed resolution. And there will be people who vote against the budget, even if they agreed with the philosophy of it being split, they just might not like the strata manager's fee or some other ancillary problem they have with the budget. Um, Therefore, the whole thing comes crashing down. So we have ended up in this position in the ACT that whereby we really can't have a split budget. And that is really inadequate for our more mature market now it's gone the legislation was drafted when they're all townhouses out in you know palmerston or wherever i'm going to use act suburbs take my word for it they exist yep. <laughs> um, you know it was, it was designed around a, more, a less complicated arrangement and now they're far more complicated you know if you look around where i'm living here these are all you know multi-unit apartment complexes with level one office and ground floor retail and some restaurants and some shops and so, so the legislation hasn't responded to keep up with that. What we have seen, a a really strange consequence of that is that in a a number of mixed-use developments, particularly in the last sort of, I don't know, call it five years, because of that inability to split things up in a satisfying way, a lot of developers have gone down the way of a stratum subdivision so that they don't have the residential unit owners impacted by the commercial units or, or so that they can sell commercial you know a large commercial holding to a listed fund that might be precluded from purchasing a unit in a, in a strata plan or and if you look at how that's been applied probably if you compared it to other more mature markets you probably wouldn't elect to have a 
a stratum subdivision for some of these buildings if you could better address the individual user groups and how they how they use the common areas and how they contribute to the costs. Yeah, and we do uh, see our newer buildings following that stratum subdivision process in New South Wales as well. What I'm interested in here, Chris, is this introduction of an ability to make a rule about exclusive use of common property. What is the threshold going to be to make such a rule? Is that a special resolution? How is that going to work under the new legislation? So a couple of dimensions to it. The simplest answer is it will be the same threshold will apply for the creation or the amendment of a rule, which is a special resolution. Right. Um, so the opportunity exists for owners' corporations after the 1st of November to consider their current set of rules and whether or not they would be best served to change to address those needs that we mentioned. And that threshold will be special resolution. However, they're changing, one of the other amendments is a change to the mathematics of how a special resolution is achieved. Okay. So at the moment, it is a two-thirds majority of votes cast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to change to be a 75% majority of votes. Yeah, cast. and I wonder if similar to New South Wales, that continues to be expressed in the negative, which is not more than 25% voting against on a unit entitlement basis. It is expressed in the negative, yeah, and that is the correct way to explain it. I actually run an executive committee training course that I hold here in the ACT for my clients and and we go into great detail on the on the voting thresholds, but I find that the vernacular seems to just be two third majority or or a seventy five percent majority is the way that that on the street it's explained. And I suppose that's easier to sort of easier to get your head around. But yes, it is explained in the negative. Yeah. And what about consent from the owner that is taking on the responsibility, if you like, for the common property under a new exclusive use bylaw. So in New South Wales, we must have the written consent of the owner who's taking on that burden. They get the benefit of the exclusive use, but they also get the burden of having to maintain the common property. What I'm getting to is this all sounds like an excellent step forward for the future, but where you have existing buildings with commercial residential and the residential side is getting very excited that from the 1st of November, we're about to shift responsibility for the commercial car parking over to the commercial lot owner, we're going to pass a bylaw, we've got the numbers, but if you can't get that consent? The numbers might stack up and provide a special privilege to a subset of owners, even though they may not have been in agreement. They might not want it, yeah. They get the cost burden, yeah. I've been involved with a number of buildings in Sydney where we have that commercial residential split, same strata plan, and the residential gets frustrated with the shops, often restaurants, not cleaning up their part of the common property. The shop owners say, well, hang on a sec, we pay our levies, we contribute in accordance with our unit entitlements, we don't have exclusive use of this, call it car parking area or garbage bin area. And the residential says, well, we want to give you that exclusive use and you can have it and you take responsibility for it, to which the commercial says, why the hell would I do that? (laughs) Don't have to take on that burden. And I just foresee that for your existing buildings, it's it's a hard problem to get across. Of course, where you have new developments, and I imagine if you have the same rules we do in New South Wales, that the strata plan is registered with a set of rules that are made by the developer, then that is the time to be putting these kinds of rules in place and giving exclusive use to commercial owners where they should fairly have it. Yeah, absolutely. And another very important element of the amendment. So we've been in this really terrible situation for however many years now, more than 10 years, where a development can only 
be registered with the default rules. So the 12 default rules, I think it's 11 now default rules, prescribed under Schedule 4 of the Act, which just doesn't address swimming pools and, you know, exclusive view. It just doesn't address those things. So it's a really terrible situation. That has been reversed now under these new arrangements. So a developer can register a bespoke set of rules, providing that they had disclosed those rules in the sales contracts up front, which is the correct approach in in my opinion. So to your point, the opportunity will now exist for the developers to curate exclusive uses for subgroups of owners, commercial have grease trap and you know access and residential have the swimming pool access and make that arrangement stick from day one. And that's the fair, obvious way to go about it and you consult with your strata manager and you think about it and you really spend a bit of time and energy getting to that point. Um, the issue of existing owners corporations taking advantage of the new legislation to go back and create a set of exclusive use rules to their own satisfaction now, I think there's a section that deals with fairness. So it says that this can be changed providing that it is not incompatible, I'm reading from it here, cannot be incompatible with a human right or otherwise be harsh, unconscionable or oppressive. I find that fascinating that you have a provision in this new legislation that a rule must not be incompatible with a human right. Yeah. I have never seen that in strata legislation across the country. I'd be interested to know if that if that is any in any of our other jurisdictions. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure what the intent of that is. I mean, it makes sense to be there, but I, I don't know what they were trying to protect against, but welcome to the lefty bleeding heart ACT. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else there, Chris, that you want to alert our listeners to arising out of this new legislation that is destined to impact them? Yeah, look, there's, a, I mean, it's a fairly broad and sweeping amendment bill and there'll be further amendments to come. Mm-hmm. A lot of the heavy lifting was through the prism of how a developer goes about selling off the plan. So a lot of that is more relevant to developers, but I imagine you have developers that are listeners. So certainly I won't address too much their new obligations of disclosure because it's quite complex, a little bit unwieldy in my opinion about how they go about protecting a sale. They've got you know any changes that they may not have been able to foresee that they have to go back and report to everyone and they have a period of time where they can opt out or there's damages. So if you get if you got bank funding necessary for you know debt coverage to get your construction finance and every I think it's every quarter you've got to go through the self-reporting mechanism that I suppose puts all those deals in flux. I think the banks had a greater opportunity to participate in this discussion might have might have advocated against that. But that's probably best addressed by another property lawyer on this mm-hmm. podcast because it's more in their wheelhouse. However, one area of particular interest is in relation to the establishment and registration of a building management statement or a strata management statement. Now, I said earlier that a lot of developers are opting for stratum subdivisions whereby they might not have you know, been necessary had they been able to better address different user groups. Even that being the case, we in the ACT do not have the capacity to register on title a building management statement or a strata management statement. And it's a really, I've, it's probably the one thing that I have really been screaming the loudest about for the last 10 years or so. And just to clarify for our listeners, you're talking about a document that would regulate the relationship between the two stratum lots. So, for example, between a residential strata plan and a commercial strata plan that has shared facilities. Yeah, correct. Exactly. 
regulate the relationship between the two and, and provide some governance direction. You know, I mean, I, I refer it often to a constitution of a, of a company. So the way that our titling landscape has been set up, we, we are able to create stratum subdivisions, but we have not been able to underpin those stratum subdivisions with an overarching governance document that talks about how these two owners come together and make decisions and what they're just how they go about dealing with things. And I, I foresee that a great deal of dispute will arise. It might not happen on day one of the property being created, but certainly over time in five years, 10 years, there'll be a, a huge chasm within which for disputes to arise. And I just think it was a re- it's was it been a real problem. A lot of the developments that you can see, cranes in the air at the moment around Canberra have been designed and are going to be delivered as stratum subdivisions. Like they may have even missed the boat probably to have a building management statement, strata management statement, because, you know, they've already exchanged contracts and, and been out in the market. So this new law doesn't really, theoretically, an existing building could, by mutual consent, and I think unopposed resolution or probably unanimous resolution, could adopt a building management statement or strata management statement to address a problem, a legacy problem. But the practical barriers to doing that are probably going to be too great. I don't think that's what this change was intended to address. This is for developments that haven't yet commenced in the future. We'll give that flexibility to a um, developer. And I'm pleased that that's been addressed by this new legislation. Yes, for the benefit of your future developments. Now, we are, Chris, fast running out of time, but I do want to cover off, we're recording this around about the middle of July and, of course, uh, strange times for everybody at the moment. I do want to make sure that our ACT listeners are across whatever COVID regulations you have in place at the moment. What's happening with your meetings? Has that been addressed for you in the ACT? It has been. Um, we lobbied or I lobbied very hard early on from about the 13th of March was the first time I yep. really started hammering the government to do something about meetings in particular. The legislation reform actually introduced the principle of an owner's corporation being able to have a meeting by alternative means, either teleconference, Zoom, Skype or whatever, or by electronic pre-voting. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen until 1 November and you would have to have passed a resolution to activate that in any case. So we lobbied for the ACT government to just bring that amendment forward, which seemed easy enough to me, but ultimately they said, no, that's far too complicated. But they (laughs) did instead pass a specific regulation that said an owner's corporation is exempt from the requirement to be physically present at a meeting while there is a declared state of emergency. So it's tied to the state of emergency. That initial state of emergency declared by the health minister ended on was due to end on, I think, the 8th of July or something, 9th of July. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the day of the deadline, they announced an extension by another 45 days. So the simple answer is presently at the moment, at least for the next 43-odd days, an owner's corporation can have meetings via Zoom and Skype or by teleconference or potentially by electronic pre-voting. And not that I've got an interest in it, but, you know, businesses, software like Stratavote and some of these other um, platforms have really addressed the the need quite well. I think Stratavote in particular, I've been working with on some enhancements that they're going to, I think, be released, I think, even this week where they'll have combined video conferencing and voting live in-house. So it's actually been a real 
benefit without being glib to be able to have these meetings electronically because it's just much more efficient and we can get we can get them oh, yeah. more regularly convened. Yeah, and they're shorter from my experience. There's the chit-chat and is not there or is cut short because we're set aside the time. We're on the Zoom call for 45 minutes or whatever's been yeah. set aside. And, yeah, I'm seeing managers really benefit from that. Not having the travel time, of course, is a big deal yeah. as well. Yeah, so I see that as, you know, it's too, far too early given our national crisis to be talking about silver linings and benefits. You know, we're all very stressed out about the health emergency, but that will be in time, one of the benefits, silver lining upsides of um, yep. moving to digital meetings, I think. Yep, I agree. Now, Chris, as I said at the uh, beginning of our chat, I have, to the detriment of this podcast, not had an ACT expert on before. But now that you are here, I'm going to get you to arm us with any uh, recommendations, suggestions for where our ACT listeners can go and should be going to get good, reliable information about their strata properties. Uh, what do you recommend? And we'll make sure that we put links to these places in the show notes for this episode. Sure. Well, I mean, look, obviously the SCA, Strata Community Australia, of which I'm the, I'm the president, we're, we're active. We've got an engaged, interested and active board. So we're a resource and, and I will go out of my way usually to give advice to people that are my clients or that aren't my clients, you know, regardless or members of SCA or otherwise. The Owners Corporation Network in the ACT, we've got a really good relationship with and I, rather than, you know, the legacy of SCA and ACN has probably been guns at 10 paces for for the most part. but In some places. In some places. <laughs> that, that, that isn't the case here, certainly. I will often... Even when I'm getting hammered by a client who, you know, is an armchair expert who's read the act and is telling me that we're, you know, break, we should be sentenced to 20 years in the electric chair because we've not done, you know, put a comma here. I'll often refer them to the OCN and say, look, it's much easier. Go and talk to the OCN. It's certainly not going to come to my defence. If I'm doing something wrong, they'll tell you. Um, yeah. But if you're wrong, you might have some hard to swallow pills coming your way. I find that to be a really useful collaboration. And we don't agree on everything. We'll often disagree, but we're able to just draw lines around that and say, okay, well, that's an area of dispute and we'll work together on things we do agree on. Access Canberra is a resource available to owners. They administer a lot of the unit titles management legislation. I tend to find that they're, they're probably the less useful in terms of just rubber hits the road advice. I would probably speak to the OCN and the Law Society and SCA if it's not a dispute with your strata manager and you're, and you're prepared to listen to the SCA's advice. That's probably they're the guys dealing day in, day out with the practical application of this stuff. Mm, yeah, it's always good to have places where you can get practical, pragmatic advice that works in the real world, I find. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us today. We are about to wrap up, but do let our listeners know where they can find out more about you. And if you want to add anything at all, go ahead. Okay. Well, look, Vantage Strata, I'll put my my selfish hat on for a moment, Vantage Strata. We operate in the ACT predominantly. We're also in New South Wales. We've got a business in Newcastle. In particular, I'm, I've currently um, transferred my executive committee training course that I used to have on a Saturday morning once a week in-house. I had the foresight to record it and edit it, and it's now available online for most, you know, it's intended for my clients. But if any listeners are interested in participating in that course, feel free to reach out and I will give you the link and you might 
learn a, a thing or two. I love it. You're one of the few who's been able to get their act together and put together a course like this. Is that something that is a series of videos or a, a single video? Yeah, it's. I've edited it to the because I've got you know a form of verbal diarrhea. I've, it's hard. To, it's hard to neatly edit it, but I've edited it into about five modules that deal with the certain sort of individual components of being on an executive committee and stratum management. Um, a bit of it will be outdated soon enough because I don't address the amendments. I will do in the future. Um, I'll probably do a series of videos just on the impending amendments and also the University of New South Wales recently published an updated version of that state of strata across across yes. Australia, which is really interesting. I think it's available publicly now. One of my modules really just deals with a lot of that stuff from their 2017 report, just the growth of this industry and why, you know, why we th I think it's a bit of a sleeping giant that's under the radar and underappreciated, but to the peril of governments and, and um, organisations around the world. Yes, I agree. Uh, so an email address, Chris? Yeah, I can be reached at chris at vantagestrata.com.au and my girlfriend tells me that I have a form of separation anxiety from my phone. My mobile number is <laughs> available online and, and I take calls day, night, seven days a week. Oh, goodness gracious. I hope that you do take, have some downtime as well. You'll tell me downtime is sitting and reading the proposed new legislation. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to Hamilton <laughs> Island if, they, if, if the world doesn't end between now and later in August. So keep your fingers crossed for me. I will do. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much, Amanda. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?